I mean, I, I don't know if you guys follow me on Facebook or any of that stuff, but uh, it's been a hard weekend for me. We put down our dog, and to some people that just doesn't seem like anything, but to me it's a lot. And uh, we had her for uh, 13 years. And so uh, Noah was trying to be like, hey, you probably shouldn't speak tomorrow. And I'm like, you're probably right, but I just want to forget things. And uh, the best way that I work through things is by ignoring them. You know, it's real healthy. Uh, <laughs> but I, uh, my therapist just passed away yesterday. Um, you know, she never really gave me too much advice, but she's always a good listener. Uh, but going over my message this morning, I feel like a hypocrite because uh, I'm going to be here and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach about prayer. And I'm, I really believe this message. Like I know in my core, I really believe that God hears prayers and that God does answer them. And uh, I'm getting up here to preach this because I know in 2 Timothy it says that even when I'm faithless, God is still faithful. And I don't, I don't know what his... I don't know what his faithfulness looks like right now in this moment. And I can't sing the goodness of God right now because I, I don't know if I really believe it right now. Right? Because it's hard to see in the moment. But I want you guys to hear this and hear from not what I'm going through, but, but what you've seen God in your own life and, and what he does day in and day out for all of us. Um, and just remember that even when you feel like you have no faith, God is still faithful because it's who he is and it has nothing to do with who we are, our situation or the life that has been handed to us. So with that, let's get today's message, right? Uh, the first ministry I ever oversaw, I became a, a youth pastor of a ministry in like 2008. I was about 20 years old. And um, after a couple years in youth ministry there, we, we saw God begin to move mightily. Um, this was back in Council Bluffs, Iowa. And uh, like God was showing up in, in major ways. Um, we saw miracle after miracle, Wednesday after Wednesday. Um, our adult Bible study would happen and then they would quit. Like they're... Bible study would end and the adults would come over and join our youth service because we were still there and God was showing up and people wanted to, to see God and what he was going through and um, the kids were praying for each other and um, they would get up and be like, God's giving me a word and they would preach a Holy Spirit empowered sermon um, just from that moment and we would like, they just got used to seeing miracles happen. I remember one night we had a youth come in for his first time. Uh, just a friend that was invited, and he, he showed up. He was an unbeliever. He was kind of like, man, I don't know about this God stuff, but he came because his friends were there, and we had a basketball court and some stuff. And, um, you know, and all these youth were, were praying for different things, and we're like, if you have any prayer requests, just come up front. And he decided to go up front because uh, I don't remember how long before, but a long while, um, probably close to a year or so before, his sister had ran away. And uh, they hadn't heard from her since the day that she left, and they didn't know what was going on. He came up and said, I just need prayer for my sister. I just don't know where she's at or if she's okay. And I remember by the end of service, his mom had called him and said, no, you'll have no idea what just happened. Your sister called me. She told me that she's down in Texas and she's okay. She's been fine. And that moment, that, that kid was just like, I want to believe in this Jesus. I'm all in. Which is crazy is between that Wednesday and the next Wednesday, he was in a car wreck. Uh, he, he showed up at youth and he, he, I mean, he's scratched up, bruised up, also all beat up. And I, I don't remember 
the full details of it. I just remember he could barely walk into our youth building, and our, our youth room was on a, a second floor with a, a whole bunch of stairs going up to it. And uh, some youth literally helped him, like basically carried him up to the youth room. And we began to pray over him during worship, and he, he felt his body get all hot and warm. And literally by the end of service, he was back to 100% health playing basketball with the, the rest of the youth. Literally, like, we saw bruises disappear and scratches just not seem to be there by the end of that time. Now, there's another story of a, a single mom named Monica. She only had one child, and he was a son. You know, she was a devout believer, and she began praying and singing hymns over him from the, the moment he was a newborn baby. Now, that, that boy grew up to see the world quite differently than his mother. By his teen years, he became known in um, their North African town as a womanizer. He would be, often be seen publicly drunk at untold hours of the night. He was incredibly smart, and he was growing up to the goal to be a philosopher. But he wanted to channel all his energy into combating his mother's faith. Monica didn't give up, though. She continued to pray every night for her son's salvation, just as she had done with her hand on his tiny forehead when he was young. When he was 19 years old, she had a dream through which she believed God was saying, I will answer your prayer. That led her to become more intense and more passionate with her prayers, but there seemed to be no change year after year. No moment of hope, no change of heart, no openness to belief. Nine years after that dream, her son had made plans to travel to Rome, known because of its parties and its fun and sinful atmosphere. Now, Monica stayed awake that whole night in intense prayer, right, that God would prevent his travels. But what she didn't know is he had already adjusted his plans and was halfway there already. On that trip, sitting alone one afternoon in a Roman garden, Monica's son heard the audible voice of God speaking to him. Bewildered, he opened up the very scriptures he had dedicated his life to disproving, and right then and there, he surrendered his life to Jesus. Monica's son was named Augustine, better known today as St. Augustine, right? who is widely considered one of the greatest theologians in history and the father of our early Christian church. Guys, prayer releases power. Right? We're in our series, Prayer, an invitation to the wonder and the mystery of prayer. And we're going through uh, Tyler Staten's book, Pray Like Monks and Live Like Fools, using it as a guide for our series. And last week we talked about the prayer of searching and naming, or better understood as confession. We discussed that our human reaction to our sin is shame and condemnation, which leads us to hide. To hide from God, to hide from our sins. But God comes to us in our weakness. Jesus suffers through temptation with us and brings us to freedom. And that to really experience and see the nearness of God we have to come out of hiding. And that is done through confession, right? Through confessing our sins to God. Now, today's title is On Earth As It Is In Heaven. Prayer is a compelling wonder, right? God acting on earth in response to a conversation with a human being, right? How can that really be? How can there be a God that, that's, that is that powerful, yet that personal? Right? It's, better that we, it's better than we dare to imagine, really, most of the time. Walter Wink, an American scholar and theologian, said, history belongs to the intercessors who believe the future into being. Prayer is also this confounding mystery, right? Some of you will, were inspired and motivated by those stories I shared before, and some of you maybe you got confused or maybe even angered by those same stories, right? You're like, that's cool that that kid was healed, but why was he healed and not this person I prayed for for many years? 
Right? If we insist on develop, celebrating divine action, can someone please explain divine silence? Right? I'm truly happy for Augustine and his mom. Like, I really am. That's cool for them. But why did it take God so long? Why wait decades to answer a prayer? Is there some kind of divine equation with just the right combination of, of time spent praying plus the right number of people praying and the right method that finally gets Jesus' attention? Or is God just unmotiv- unmotivated most of the time and you just catch him at the right moment you catch him a little bit off guard and he's like, all right, I'll take care of it. Right? In what other context does withholding all of that power for years make any sense? Doesn't that speak maybe more to the cruelty of God? with the power to act, but to carry out that action slowly, apathetically, and randomly, more than it does to the kindness of a God who acts in response to our prayer. The real issue is, comes down to this core question that, that's been cycling around for ages, is do my prayers matter in any visible, tangible sense? Is God carrying on the way he would always carry on, regardless of whether or not I pray? Do my requests exclusively reform my heart in some divine equation, or do they carry any power to change real people, conditions, or circumstances in this world that we live in? Do my prayers matter? C.S. Lewis set up a case against prayer. I'm mimicking the voice of a skeptic. In other words, like he's trying to act like someone doesn't believe in prayer and speak into that. He said, even if I grant your point and admit that, an- that answer to prayers are theoretically possible, I still think they're infinitely improbable. I don't think it at all likely that God requires the ill-informed and the contradictory advice of us humans as to how to run the world. If he is all wise, as you say he is, doesn't he already know what's best? And if he is all good, won't he do it whether we pray or not? For however many of us today are celebrating with the fiery faithful that history belongs to the intercessors, There's probably just as many people in the world or more that that shrug their shoulders as the skeptic. And this is kind of where prayers live, somewhere paralyzed between that wonder and the mystery. Usually, I think until we step into that moment of prayer, the wonder compels us into it. Right? Man, maybe there is a God who hears me. But usually when we begin to pray, it seems all the confidence and inspiration are drowned in a tsunami of questions and doubts and confusion and other past disappointment. Now, don't get me wrong. Plenty of us keep on praying in that paralyzed space between the wonder and mystery where we don't really pray the way of Jesus. Our prayers don't reflect a a wide-eyed, blazing sense of empowerment that the Son of Man's words provoke to anyone who really believes them, right? We, We pray the safest kind of prayers. The one so passive and vague that you really couldn't tell if God responded or not. I want you guys to just think, what did you pray about this past week? Right? And if God answered every one of those prayers, what would happen? Right? Usually the answer is very little because we weren't very specific or we just kind of threw out some prayers. You know, we're like, you know, my food would be blessed. Uh, my day maybe went smooth. I got good scores on a test or, you know, I didn't get fired from my job. But what about actual prayers you prayed for someone else? See, Jesus' disciples went to Jesus and they said, teach us to pray. 
And he responded, this then is how you should pray, our Father in heaven. Most of us love that opening line. We're like, yes, one God, Father of everybody, our Father, my dad. Then we're like, hallowed be your name. We're like, okay. I think that maybe God's a narcissist, but it's also like, it's reasonable. He's that powerful. He's that personal. You know, maybe he's, he's earned some of that hallowing. Right? Then the next line, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that's kind of where he loses us. Right? Prayer is a way to meditate, to center, to let go. Definitely. Prayer is a channel to be reformed from the inside out. Of course. But prayer that really works, the sort of prayer that joins God to bring about the redemption and push back the darkness, prayer that actually makes a, a, a marked difference in the world that we live in, in the lives of real people I interact with, with the real issues that they face, the sort of prayer that brings heaven to earth, right? I think sometimes that's where he loses us. Now, to Jesus' credit, he tried really, really hard for us to understand. Right? We're going to look at just a sampling of some of the subjects Jesus sent on prayer. In uh, Luke eleven nine, 9, he said, And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. Mark eleven twenty four says, you can, ask the Father, you can ask for anything in my name. I'm jumped ahead. Mark eleven twenty four says, I tell you, it's probably up there, you can tell me. Uh, you can pray for anything. If you believe that you received it, it will be yours. John 14, 13 through 14 says, you can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the son can bring glory to the father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. John 15, 7 says, but if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. In Matthew 21, 22, it says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children. Oh, I did it again, didn't I? You can pray anything if you have faith and you will receive it. Matthew seven eleven says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Right? If we really took Jesus' invitation seriously, and he obviously was serious about it, it's one of the things that's pretty clear in scripture that if we ask in the name of Jesus, we can receive. And if we really believed it, and we believed in that sort of prayer Jesus talked about, the modern church would have a hard time getting its people to do anything but to pray. Right? Like if we really believe that the moment I ask for something in the name of Jesus, it will happen, it'd be really hard to get a Christian to do anything but pray at multiple moments throughout their day. Right? Our Wednesday morning prayer meeting should be the most packed that this building is. In actuality, somehow, us Christians need to be motivated to pray. And I think that's because most people, even the most serious, mature Christians, don't really buy prayer as Jesus described it, at least not in its entirety. Prayer is the most profound invitation God offers us on this side, the other side of grace. And this invitation is not just for the perfect or for the lucky, it's for everyone. The on earth as it is in heaven kind of praying is referred to in Christianese um, as intercessory prayer. And the English words derived from the Latin word intercedo, right? I didn't make that up, but it sure sounds like it. Um, Meaning to come between. In both ancient and modern expressions, to intercede means to go between, to intervene between two parties, to mediate. In other words, intercessory prayer simply means to Pray for someone else. 
When I worked for the House of Prayer, we referred to intercession as standing in the gap. Right? We bridged the gap between what was happening on earth and the provision of heaven. And we stood in that gap. Now, the motive behind all true intercessory prayer is love for the other. Jesus was talking about the kind of prayers that start with love for someone else and end with inviting God's activity into places where love is lacking. Intercession is a willing and intentional choice to turn from the endless spiral of self, right? My desires, my needs, my circumstances, to the desires and needs and circumstances of others. To utter even a syllable of intercessory prayer is a profound act of love for someone else. Right? To see and understand the invitation. To unparalyze us, we need to go back to the beginning. And you may have noticed this theme if you've been here for the rest of this series, that there's a theme of going back to the original design that God had for us to really discover prayer. Right? And the biggest question in the history of mankind is why are we here? Genesis offers a kind of a surprisingly direct answer for that. Right? In Genesis 1.26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Right? Why were you created? Why are you here? The biblical answer is to rule, to reign. Right? And not into some power-hungry sort of rule, but in the image of God. As a reflection of his authority, his love, his, his uh, goodness to everything. Mankind was made to be intercessors, participating with God and lovingly overseeing the world, set apart and bearing God's authority to rule in selfless love. Ruling in the Old Testament is the same language that they used to ascribe to the kings later down the road, right? It was a task for royalty. If you look through all the rulers of ancient time, you can see that they all tried to become an image of God. I mean, just think back to Egypt and every pharaoh that went through and all the statues that still exist today or they're uncovering where they're trying to bear an image of themselves to become a god. We are all images of God. It just said, let us make, them, make humans in our image. Right? We are royalty. God invited us to be his managers, right? to be intercessors or to fill the gap from heaven to the rule on earth. Right? And this place we inhabit is our assignment, to spread his image into every square inch of the earth. Now, we've discussed this before. It's gone a little wrong, right? The world's gone a little sideways out there. It's gone a little sideways in here probably to you. When sin came into the world, gener gener oh my gosh, Genesis 3, <laughs> uh, we lost our identity. Right? The first piece that we lost of our identity is as children of God the Father. Right? And when we don't act as children of the King, we forfeit our role as God's intercessors, the co-managers of his creation. We have a communication breach right, that leaves us paralyzed. God created an inseparable connection between his mind and our action. And we are Christ's body on earth, if you read through any bit of the New Testament, but the line of communication was broken in the fall. We look around the world, we see dysfunction surrounding us everywhere, the suffering, the pain, the injustice, the oppression, but we lack the capacity to set the world right, to rule, because we can't do it in our power. 
Because somewhere between God's mind and our actions, our signals are cut off. If we are now imprisoned inside of us, we still carry the image and the authority of a perfect, loving God. It's still all there, but we're paralyzed. Later in the biblical story, a prophet named Isaiah foretold the birth of the Messiah, which is the coming of Jesus. In Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For a child is born to us, a son is given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. See, that's a political statement, and not a political statement that supports Republicans or Democrats, okay? It's one about us regaining our authority to rule. Jesus came back to win the role we lost, to repair that communication breach. Jesus said in John 12, 31, fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy, he said, the time for judging the world has come when Satan, the ruler of this world, will be cast out. Why were you and I created? Right? To rule in the image of God. What does Jesus call Satan? The ruler of this world. But then what does he do? He cast him out. Right? Jesus came to get our authority back. At the close of the Gospels, after Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection, he sums up the victory in these famous words you guys probably all heard in Matthew 28, 18. It says, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Right? God won our authority back. He restored us to the very position for which we were created at the very beginning. He stepped into the tension of, of the world we feel all the time and he cut a way through to make us intercessors again. Jesus speaks about this plan to fully restore prayer. The Apostle John records arguably you know, the most uh, empowering yet sometimes confusing words Jesus ever said to the disciples. In John 16, 7, he goes, but in fact, it is best for you that I go away because if I don't, the advocate won't come. If I do go away, then I will send him to you. Now, when I hear that, I kind of think of one of those, uh, the breakup conversations where it's like, don't worry, it's not you, it's me. Right? It's better if I go. Right? You will find someone else. Right? That, I mean, in essence, that's what he's saying. Right? And that's so hard for them to believe because they've just walked day after day with Jesus on earth. They saw all of his miracles. They saw his compassion. They saw the way they cared for him. And he's going to them and saying, no, it's good for me to go away. They're like, no, Jesus, I'm the bad one. Send me away. You know. But Jesus is going to leave them, and this time for good, right? In both senses of that word. Jesus, in that passage, he's talking about prayer, because if we jump down to verse 23, it says, at that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I tell you the truth, you will ask the Father directly, and he will grant your request because you use my name. You haven't done this before. Ask using my name, and you will receive, and you will have abundant joy. Right? He's, Jesus is clearly saying, you have never done this before, praying in the name of Jesus. Right? You've gotten used to bringing your requests and your needs and questions and complaints to me in person, but soon you will go directly to the Father as you've seen me do. Prayer is the pathway God has made to get us back to his original plan. Prayer is the way that we rule and we manage and stand in the gap or intercede for this world. The author Philip Yancey says, of all the means God could have used, prayer seems the weakest, the slipperiest, and the easiest to ignore. So it is, unless Jesus was right in that most baffling claim. He went away for our sakes as a form of power sharing, to invite us into direct communion with God and to give us a crucial role in the struggle against the forces of evil. 
Prayer is how this moves from a biblical rumor of us ruling to your actual everyday experience. Jesus is very plainly telling his disciples, until now, you've never really prayed. Not like I designed it, but when you go to the Father, you'll discover praying in my name. Now, the ancient phrase, when they say in my name, this was a a common thing. Like the king would say, you're sent in my name. It would be saying, you're sent in my authority. Right? And so when Jesus said, when you pray in my name, he was saying, you're praying in my authority. Right? To pray in Jesus' name is to pray with our recovered authority. It was never meant to be a fitting tagline to the end of prayers. Right? It's the exercise of Jesus' victory. To pray is to experience the very same access to God, the Father that Jesus has. The New Testament scholar Larry Hurtado says, to pray in Jesus' name means that we enter into Jesus' status in God's favor and invoke Jesus' standing with God. Now, you're not Jesus, right? But you're a, if you're a follower of Jesus, every single time you pray, you come before the Father clothed in the robes and with a crown of a ruler. In the eyes of heaven, you are filled with Jesus' status and standing. And when God won your authority back, God was winning prayer back. Karl Barth once said, to clasp your hands in prayer is the beginning of an uprising against the disorder of the world. Prayer is the means by which we push back the curse that has infected the world. When we engage in intercessory prayer, we are loving others on the basis of heaven's resources. Right, hear me on this. I love this thing. Prayer is heaven's highest security clearance. Right? It's free access to stroll right into the heavenly vault and gather up whatever we can carry so that we can take it and hand it out to the world. We are rulers calling the shots for how heavenly resources get distributed here on earth. Intercession is a way of saying, we got to have some of that over here. Right? Look, there's something missing over there. I'm pretty sure we got that in heaven. We can bring that down. It's the distribution of God's resources into our familiar environments that make up our disordered world. It reminds me of Peter and John in Acts chapter 3. Right? They're, they're walking on a journey. They're headed into the temple, and there's a beggar at the temple gate. And that beggar is there asking for money. He, he's crippled. He can't walk. He, he's just laying there on his mat and asking for money to, to be able to buy food just to survive. And Peter demands this guy to look at him. He's like, hey, look at me. And the guy looks up. He's probably expecting him to hand him money or something else. And Peter says in verse 6, I don't have any silver or gold, but I'll give you what I have. And in the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, get up and walk. Peter, acting in his authority through the name of Jesus, sets right in order to the disorder of the world and heals a man, giving him new life. Pete Grieg, he's the founder of the 24-hour prayer movement, said, intercession is impossible until we allow the things that break God's heart to break our hearts as well. Now, while all this is true, absolutely true, the worst kept secret in church history is that most people, even most Christians, don't actually like prayer. Right now, we still do it, maybe out of guilt or obligation. We know it's good for us, right? The pastor keeps making us practice it at the end of service. But we've basically made prayer like the spiritual equivalent of having to eat your vegetables, right? Like we do it because we know we're supposed to. It's good. I don't really enjoy it. Right? Prayers become spiritual celery. Right? Like no one likes celery, okay? Right? You like peanut butter, maybe. You like cream cheese, you know, possibly. 
You maybe like celery diced up and put in soup, but that's only because you can say it's healthier. Right? And even if you eat it raw and plain, it's because you heard that celery takes more calories to burn it than it does, that, like, than it has. So you're like, I eat celery because I like weight loss, not because I like celery. But that's what we do with prayer, right? right? We do prayer because we've we heard it's good for us. We pray because we know that hopefully on the other side, maybe some good things will happen. Right? We don't mind prayer if it's covered up in some good music or some other people leading it and I just get to nod my head along. Right? We don't enjoy prayer. But what if, according to Jesus, you just never really prayed? What if you've never come to the Father wearing the robes of an heir, carrying the standing and the status of Jesus? What if you've never plundered, plundered the riches, sorted away in those heavenly vaults? What if you've never pushed back the curse alongside God? Right? It's already been defeated. He's just looking for intercessors to implement the already secured victory. Man, that should get you excited, right? That should get you thinking, you know, I could probably wake up a few minutes earlier if that's what prayer really is, right? Maybe I'll even spend my lunch hour different or skip a meal or two to do that. Here's the best part of the whole story. God doesn't need intercessors, right? He doesn't need you to manage his creation. He's not even one bit overwhelmed by the responsibility of overseeing the world. He is all-knowing, all-powerful. He exists outside of time, so it's just... He can do whatever he wants. He's got this. Right? God doesn't need intercessors. He chooses intercessors. We dream of a God who brings heaven to earth, but God dreams of praying people to share heaven with. Right? If God gave you everything you prayed for this last week, what would happen? The only reason I ask is that you are a ruler. You are a co-heir with Christ, a manager of heavenly resources, and what are you doing with all that authority? If you took Jesus seriously on this invitation to prayer, what would happen? What would happen in you? What would happen in your neighborhood or your community or in the city or at your workplace? Isn't that worth finding out? Now, the Gospel of Matthew's record of the Lord's Prayer, the most you know, normal or most uh, recognized version of the Lord's Prayer, is broken into two, threats of, two sets of three petitions. And there's a hinging phrase on earth as it is in heaven, holding the prayer together like a binding of a book. Eugene Peterson shares that the first half of the prayer gets us into God's reality. The first three petitions make us participants in the being and the actions of God. The pronouns tell that story, right? Your name, your kingdom, your will. Your, your, your. The three concluding prepositions invite God to return the favor. Give us, forgive us, and lead us. Peterson continues that prayer involves us deeply and responsibly in all the operations of God. Prayer also involves God deeply and transformatively in all the details of our lives. Sometimes God will move heaven and earth, right? Bending space and time to weave a supernatural narrative in response to our prayers. But God always purposes prayer to change the heart of the intercessor themselves. Profound answers to prayer come equally in the forms of God's independent action and God's partnering action to reform and work through the praying person. Intercessory prayer is often about what the intercessor has become after they're finished praying. Intercession is nothing more than ordinary love combined with sober humility. 
right? Loving something or someone so much that you recognize that their needs are above what you can do, above your capacity and your ability, right? So what fills that gap between your love for them and your humility to recognize that you can't provide for them? Prayer. The powerful prayers of intercession. Those who dare to pray and keep praying to, get, to live the adventures that run parallel in the unseen, hidden labor of prayer. I remember a few years back, um, Victoria and I had just gone on a, a backpacking trip and our kids were with my in-laws and we were driving from northern Minnesota to northern or central Illinois to pick up our kids and it was a long drive, I don't know, six, eight hours or something and uh, while we were driving, some friends of ours that we had just become fairly close to called us. Their daughter had been sick for a few weeks, we had been praying for her and uh, they, they called us to let us know that their four-year-old daughter was just diagnosed with leukemia and uh, that it was pretty serious. Now, these friends of ours were newer to us. We, we lived in this small town. We had maybe been hanging out with them for a year or so. And the, the dad um, had become a good friend of mine. And uh, he actually wanted nothing to do with church, especially when we first started hanging out. Um, we met because he was really into cars, and at the time I had a car that I had um, built up, and uh, he started asking me questions about it, and we started kind of hanging out. And then he found out I was a pastor, and he started avoiding us for a bit. Um, but it was a really small town, and you can't avoid people in small towns. So he kind of started coming around to this idea of God and church, and then this happened. And I remember for most of the drive, Victoria was asleep, um, as she does in most car rides. Uh, I just remember being really angry. Like, God, I don't understand why you would do this. It doesn't even make sense. We've been praying for her. Why wouldn't you just heal her? This guy is already struggling to believe in you, and you're going to do this? Like, it doesn't even make sense, God. Why? You know, and just begin to, to cry out and pray for her. God, to, you know, this four-year-old doesn't deserve this. She didn't do anything to, to have this disease. just prayed over and over for God to do something, right? To heal her, to show his power for her family, to protect their hearts from turning against God. Now, God did slowly answer that prayer. And she has been, um, she's had clear checkups um, for, for like the last two years. Uh, and yeah, praise God for that. But what ended up happening is her dad, sent her dad into a spiraling um, life back into drugs and depression that he had suffered through many years before. And God called us to move away during that time. And I was really, really worried for him. Now, there's a part of this that, that matters when you go to pray in intercession is that you pray for God's will to be done because my will was definitely not God's will in that moment. He had a bigger and better plan because after we moved away, he connected with a new guy um, from our church who was starting a recovery program called Celebrate Recovery which then led my friend to, to give up drugs and to actually come fully to God and be baptized. Um, it's hard to surrender to God's will for the plan sometimes in the moment. But it's very much a part of intercession, right? Because God is the one that's all-knowing. God is the one that's all-powerful. Now, I, I love to give him advice on how he could handle it, right? And... Uh, you know, I think that uh, I'm fairly wise, but uh, in comparison to God, I'm pretty much nothing. And yet still, it's really hard to surrender to his will and say, okay, God, let your will be done. 
I'm really glad that uh, God had led me to the years I spent at the house of prayer because it taught me to intercede. It taught me to stand in the gap and to pray big, real prayers. Right? On a daily basis, we were pr- praying for entire nations to come to God. We prayed for miracles to happen in, in the lives all around us. We prayed for the salvation for leaders of nations. We traveled all over the U.S. praying for the different elections and for, for God to come through in the way that he wants to come through. We prayed for public figures and even um, actors and actresses and, and musicians that were getting famous that God would save them so that they could bring glory to him. One of those being Justin Bieber, who literally shares about God all the time now. Right? And I'm not saying it's because of my prayers, but I'm saying it's because of my prayers. Uh, but I'm just saying that there's no way, the things that I can pray for today I believe in because there's a God who does show up. There is a God who follows through and that his will is done. And when heaven comes and meets earth, things change, right? And they can't not change. So if we really took Jesus seriously on the invitation to prayer, what would really happen? What would happen in you? What would happen in our church? What would happen in the community around you? And what would happen in our city? Right? I only got about an hour left. Um, no, um, we're... We're going we're gonna to take a moment to practice as we have been, all right? You're going to enjoy the celery today. Um, but uh, in Matthew 6.10, right, this is the, the Lord's Prayer. It says, may your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right, this is how Jesus taught us to intercede. There's two parts. It's releasing and asking. Right, the your will be done part is about releasing control. Right? Think of something in your life that you're wrestling control over. Maybe something that you keep releasing and then you grab back again. And when you come up with it here in a moment, you're going to name it and you're going to release it to God. Right, God, your will be done. Not my will. I, I know how I'd like to see it handled. But your will be done and release it. Ask then at that moment for that void to be filled with the Spirit. Right, in place of the releasing. Because if we leave it open, it's going to find its way back in. Right? To ask for, if you remember our very first week of this series, we talked about that somehow in the, the midst of prayer, there is a God-promised provision to give you peace. That when you trade anxiety to him, he restores you with peace. Trust in the place of fear. Right? So when you go to him and you hand over your will, ask for that peace. It's a promise that he offers Right? This is my prayer every day for my life that I go through the fruit of the Spirit and I replace my actions that don't line up with the fruit that he wants me to have, that he wants to give me. It's literally my prayer every day. God, fill me with your love today and wash out of me fear and anger. Right? Fill me with joy today and take out of the worry and the anxiety. Fill me with your peace today. Right? Get rid of the, the comparison I have of the world around me and my discontentment. Fill me with your patience and get rid of hurry. Right? And I work my way through all of them so that, that I would, would exchange my actions and surrender them to his will. And then he goes on to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Having released all of that control to the will of the Father, you're now free to see our lives and our relationships and the community and our world through the eyes of God. It is from this place that we ask with hearts full of faith and full of hope. 
Right? If you remember from last week that when we come before God and we confess, it says we can enter into God's presence with boldness. We can come before his throne and we could request, as we heard today, with the authority of Jesus. And we go to him with that faith and with that hope. And we simply ask God to invade the places that is absent and needed of him with his kingdom. Right, The friends who are outside of a relationship with Jesus, the needs in our city and the world around us, that are those troubling and challenging situations, physical and mental illnesses. We ask Jesus to come anywhere and everywhere you know God's kingdom of love and peace is needed. Right, And be brief and be specific in your prayers. Right? Resist the urge to become wordy and vague. Resist the urge to cover for God. I find myself praying this a lot. God, heal this person. But if you don't heal this person, you know, protect the doctors and, and lead all these things, right? Like we, we cover up for God. God doesn't need that from us. Be brief, be specific. Right? Don't make it easy on him. He can handle all of our asks. Right? So uh, we're going to turn on some... Uh, music, just quiet. And I want you to take a few moments to just surrender your will and ask God to come and do something. And let's see God move this week.
believe that you've heard our words today, God. God, that our request didn't fall on empty ears, but that it fell on um, a God who is in charge of everything, Lord. God, that it fell on ears who've always been bent down to listen, who are already ready to hear. God, I pray that you would be stirred to action. God, that we would see your will be done. with you to be image bearers of you into the world around us and the access we have to the things of heaven, to your kingdom and bringing it to earth in our everyday lives, God. God, I pray that you would help us to not have prayer be a thing that we don't enjoy, but it's something that we do enjoy, something that we desire to get into because of not just the exchanges for ourselves, but because we shift the atmosphere of earth by bringing your kingdom into it. God, and that we would step into it with boldness, with authority. And that we would see lives of people changed around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, at this point, right, we've been going through this series of prayer. You should have a day, a part of your day, you should have silence and being still with God. Right? You followed by a time of praying as we can, not as we can't, trading that anxiety for peace. You should be taking time of adoration and thanking God our Father for what he does, possibly using the prayer of examine at the end of your day. Right? Last week we added in a time of confession, of searching and naming. And now, take a moment to add intercession, taking the request of others around you and taking them before God and standing in that gap. Now, I have a resource to help you guys this week, and uh, there's a, a Bible study in the YouVersion Bible app, I think there's a slide for it, called uh, Dangerous Prayers, and um, it, it's, seven, it's a seven-day study, I can't make seven, I guess, with my fingers, uh, um, but uh, it's a seven-day study, we're going to start it tomorrow as a church um, there, there's an invitation out there to join. Um, you can scan that QR code on the back of that Connect card in front of you. It'll, there's a link there called Dangerous Prayer Bible Study or something. Um, it'll get you right into the group with us. It's through the YouVersion Bible app if you don't have that on your phone. Um, or if you have the Church Center app and you open it up on the homepage, there's a button there. And uh, we'll send it out today um, via email and stuff as well so you can join in with that. Um, but it's actually going to be a really good um, to help us go from today's message to next week's message um, and a reminder of every day to pray big prayers, right? Because we have a big God, right? So um, please join us in that. Go and stand in the gap today. There's a harvest meeting right here after service. Um, there will be cake afterwards for you and if you're here for this meeting, all right? Um, I guess. I don't really know how the, the, the cake thing's working in the meeting, but if you have to choose one or the other, choose the harvest meeting first, okay? Um, because. All right. Have a good day. Love you guys.